and welcome to Exiting Through the 2010s, a podcast where we reflect and dissect the movies of the past 10 years. I'm your host, Jack Draper, and with me is my co-host, Clay Williams. Hey, how's it going? We have probably, I can say this with, uh, with certainty, the biggest guest we've ever had. Jack, do you want to introduce him? Uh, hmm. Yeah, this is um, Paulo Yama, um, <laughs> movie trivia Shimoto and champion. And, yeah, that's, that's, uh, or at that's least me. Current right now. Um, yeah, as of recording this podcast, as, who yeah, knows? The spectacular hasn't happened. Anything can can happen. Um, yeah. But you want to tell everyone about yourself, why you chose Binding the Gap, and what got you into movies. I'm giving you yeah, so uh, much. So <laughs> it's good. It's a lot. It's a lot to work with. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm Paul. I'm a recent film school graduate. I went to film school at Indiana University Bloomington. Um, I studied production and film studies, so sort of, you know, how to make movies, but also the history of movies and stuff like that. Uh, I actually went into college not wanting to study film, but then I saw a film called The Prestige. Hmm. Um, And that, coupled with a bunch of other factors in my life at that point, made me change majors. And I ended up studying film and going really deep down the rabbit hole. I kind of became an obsessive a lot more quickly than I think one might expect. And yeah, that, from there I was off, you know, just watching tons of movies all the time. Uh, I, I've loved movies for a long time, but it definitely wasn't something that I saw myself doing as a career or being interested in to the level that I am now. Um, and a lot of, honestly, like online YouTube content is kind of what fostered that for me a little bit. Uh, podcasting and just a bunch of other online content that sort of made me um, really fall in love with movies in a different way and see them in a different way. Um, that I ever had before. Um, so yeah, my, my film journey is kind of a circuitous one. It's got a lot of windy paths, but here we are. Uh, and, and I think one of the, the formative films of recent years for me is, is Mining the Gap, which is a, a film that I got to pretty late, actually. I missed the original theatrical run. Um, I'd been recommended it by a friend. And then also, um, so I was an intern at this film production company called Sydney Kimmel Entertainment. Um, they made like Place Beyond the Pines and a few few other sort of semi-notable movies. And but one of the guys who worked there was like really singing its praises. So it's on Hulu. It's only 90 minutes. And I watched it and I ended up falling in love. And it's one of my favorite documentaries ever now. Um, I've seen it now four times after rewatching it for this. And I don't know, it, it hits me on a level that I think not many documentaries and just films in general ever have. And I love the story it tells that it, there's, you know, we'll get into why for a lot of reasons later, but yeah, Mind in the Gap is a big, big movie for me. Clay, how did you discover Mind in the Gap? So 2018 was noticeably like a great year for documentaries. Uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor, Three Identical Strangers, Free Solo, um, and Mind in the Gap. Uh, I haven't seen many documentaries, so I was kind of surprised finding myself watching four in one year. Um, and... I watched the three other first, I think. I might have seen Free Solo after Mining the Gap. But this was definitely, like, the least publicized, the least talked about, in a sense. I mean, amongst critic circles, people were loving it, but, you know, Free Solo won the Oscar. Uh, uh, Mr. Rogers is a big name. Three Identical Strangers has a huge twist. Um, but I forget who, what made me, like, oh, yeah, I need to see this now. I just heard generally, like, good things. 
uh, it was 90 minutes, like Paul said. So I kind of sat back and watched it and was really like blown away. And I was surprised of how raw it was. Cause again, I haven't seen too many like documentaries, but they're usually been like interview based or like, you know, more have like a, a bigger outlook, maybe not as personal, but this was just really like, you. yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it, it inform you or you know uh, open you to a world that you might not know about. This was more of just like a real story, uh, a movie that is so real it's like hard to not be connected to it, even if maybe you're uh, you you don't have the similar situations that um, are portrayed. Uh, but yeah, no, it just blew me away, and it's aged incredibly well for me and also just improved upon rewatch as well totally. how about you jack yeah um so my campus at the time we have like our own little cinema we had our own cinema um we would just it would be like a movie a month every two weeks something like that and uh for that month we had mid 90s and i went to go see it one of the last showings it had but the projector broke <laughs> It was just one of those faulty things, so I was like, oh, I already spent like five dollars, and like, what am I gonna do now? I guess I like saved this whole time for it. I mean, the whole time is like eighty minutes, but did you not get your money I, back? No, like they they I was I was just through credit card. Oh, I was yeah. like, oh, that's tough. Um, so yeah, I go back and I had heard. I think this premiered at Sundance. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So, so I remembered it coming out during Sundance. And when mid '90s premiered, it was everyone was calling it like uh, it was like compared to to Mining the Gap, or it was like the um, scripted Mining the Gap. So I'm like, okay, so this seems like a like a reasonable uh, um, like alternative, <laughs> and and it slowly revealed it's like during the first fifteen twenty minutes, like all right, well this is kind of like. Uh, about skateboarding and uh, like the formative teen years and the idea of a friend group. It's kind of it kind of has those themes going on with it that I would expect mid nineties to have. <laughs> but then it goes on to to be about like the um, the trauma and, and the healing process of um, unstable relationships. You know, so it's like it slowly turned itself to be much more than just rad shredding yeah for lack of a better wording so i was really caught off guard and that approach was just yeah i was just it was just um i was really gracious on that part so have you guys skateboarded before never ever uh not not regularly not not really i i think it's funny I've... you mentioned mid 90s which is kind of like the the third best skating movie of 2018 for all my skate kitchen heads out there but no i i agree though that it's the style is kind of what makes it so great totally. um the you know it's it's kind of a verite style doc and i think that's such a nice change of pace um clay was kind of mentioning earlier like most people most people are used to sort of the expository um kind of like general information dumps of like an individual person or some event in world history. And I think like the Verite style is something that appeals to me a lot. Yeah. Um, my favorite documentary of all time is called Hoop Dreams. Uh, it's by Steve oh, James so from good. 1994. Um, oh, so and it, the, the director actually executive produced Finding the Gap and he's sort of like oh. one of Bing Lu's mentors now. 
Um, and I think he drew a lot of he's, I mean, he said in interviews he drew a lot of inspiration from the style of Hoop Dreams and th- that changed him seeing Hoop Dreams and those type of documentaries kind of changed the way he looks at making this movie and I think this movie is a lot of different things and a lot of different phases if you listen to it, the way Bing talks about it because apparently when he first came up with this it was just supposed to be like kind of survey style talking to skaters across the country and seeing what skating meant to them um, and he had sort of a rough cut of that and then you know when he he met you know reconnected with Zach and Kier it sort of changed the way that he made the film and then also the parts of himself he didn't add those until much much later at at someone else's um, encouraging so I think like the evolution of the doc is kind of mirrored in the evolution of um, the way the doc was made and I think that's one of the most interesting parts about it is that you know it starts in one direction and then you know it takes another turn just like in the documentary when um, what he finds when Nina tells him you know about, about Zach hitting her I think that um, makes the film go in a much different direction and that's where I think it becomes um, kind of higher level filmmaking yeah. than a, a you know generic kind of how, what does skating mean to you movie which could be interesting but I don't think would be as emotionally arresting as this is and that's what I got about mid 90s where it's yeah. just what is like skating as um, an activity to bond with those that you wouldn't normally see yourself bonding with. Um, Like I got to mid nineties eventually last night (laughs) and I just thought it was kind of flimsy and it didn't, and it felt like it should have been a short, at least it didn't have enough. I just think it's focusing on the least interesting character of anyone that's really in the entire friend group. It's like, you know, he's got these really cool and interesting guys with all these backstory. And then, you know, Sun, Sunburn is the guy that we tell the story about. And I get that it's the Jonah Hill proxy and everything. But, yeah, in comparison with, with Mind of the Gap, I think it just doesn't hit a lot of levels that it, it could have. And, you know, it's got great style. But, you know, there's a reason that I'm, we're talking about Mind of the Gap on this podcast and not mid-90s. Like, it's yeah. a diff- just different caliber of filmmaking. We're not going to sit here and it's Reza and Ross. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's um, you, uh, Paul. You talking about like the journey of the uh, filmmaking process? It's shown throughout. Like it, it's one of the main words. I took some notes for this. The main one of the main words I kept repeating in like certain aspects was seamless. It was just it just felt so organic and true in every kind of transition. Um, whether it be in like the passage of time, how characters evolved, and it it's one of like this movie is so real. It is so just true. It's like it is the definition of a passion project, and it feels so organic in every move it makes. And it shows up in the editing of how um, how it connects parallel storylines. Like you talking about hoop dreams, that makes sense. Hoop dream is about two parallel um, narratives. And how they connect and the difference and the similarities. This is part of this is just kind of like that in a sense. Um, and you can kind of tell that this wasn't necessarily his initial reason to make the film because, like, in the end, when he explains to Kier why he's making this film, you would kind of think that he would mention that maybe like like when he started filming him all the time. It comes at a much later point, so you can kind of uh, guess that his uh, the reason changed midway um but it, again it all just feels so natural and so um real it, it, that's the main thing i keep coming back to is how raw and real it actually feels and how how much it can connect to 
any part of yourself. Everyone, no one had an easy childhood. I don't think I've ever met someone who's like, yeah, yeah my childhood was completely fine, a-okay, never happened. I was a happy kid, no matter what. I mean, whether you're, you know, extremely privileged or um, whether you were in a very low-income household, everyone's had just, like, a kind of a difficult time growing up, and that's why it makes this film so, like, universal. Yeah, I I think one of the interesting things about this is that in its rawness, it still has kind of the rhythm of, like, a fictional feature. You know, it's got, like, these arcs, and it's crazy how the the timing coincides, and I think a lot of that is editing, you know, being sat down and chop this thing to bits over and over and over again for years and i think like when you see sort of the realization of, of zach and then you see bing come in with the storyline about his his stepfather i think all of that stuff coincides in such a way that's um again it's, it's aligned very much with the arc of a narrative feature like a fictional one but and you know it's it's reality it's real life and i think you know editing in documentaries is so important because every documentary has you know probably tens hundreds of hours of footage on the cutting room floor that you never get to use. And it's all about finding where to get the windows into what the story is. And I think finding the story in a doc is such an underrated aspect of, of making one. Yeah. Um, Cause it seems like a simple thing. You just, you know, you document this subject, you get all this B roll, but really when you think about it. It's gotta have, it's gotta have a certain cadence to it. I think for it to all fit together in the way that this does. I feel like the, um, the key to it, are those skateboarding cuts to cuts to just them cruising around uh, Rockford because it it's like a pause in between all this uh, self-discovery. Like this is, this is how they connect with themselves and with each other is just through like the passion of skateboarding. And once you break from that, from yeah, like that B roll of the skateboarding, then it's, immediately back to um like the zach and nina relationship or uh here finding a job and then it's like you'll cut back to them skateboarding uh in fact though it cuts to that uh corner with like the wells fargo and the flight of Mm, stairs a few times and i don't know if that location has any significance but it might just be for um a continual uh break in between the yeah, the story. And I think that kind of echoes the way that they have a relationship to skating, too. Is like, in their lives, they go through these traumatic events. You know, Bing gets hit by his stepfather repeatedly, all this stuff at home. And then the skateboarding is kind of the escape. And I think it's so interesting how the movie, like, kind of parallels that by having the skating scenes be these sort of transitional asides where you kind of get a break from sort of the, the general narrative of the story. Yeah. And I think, like, I love how that kind of weaves itself in to make it like kind of fit together like a, like a bunch of puzzle pieces and it's perfect. It's definitely, that's definitely true. Like it, the fair, I mean, skating is their therapy. It's that, that's how they process their emotions and like try to um, use and exercise all of the stuff they have inside of them that they can't really talk. Cause like, you know, both, all three of the characters don't don't really have necessarily someone to talk to since, you know, their uh, parents' relationships are really flimsy or extremely bad. Um, they don't have – it doesn't seem like they have a brother or sister they can lean on. It seems like they're disconnected. Kier's brother steals his money from under his bed that he's been exactly, yeah. to save. Exactly, yeah. Zach just um, left his parents, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then also, Bing talked about this in an interview. Apparently, he's the only person Nina ever told about about Zach hitting her. 
Like that's the only person she ever talked to about that. And it was for the documentary. And I think that in and of itself kind of speaks to these people's lives are so insular. And I think that getting this kind of window and this access into what their lives are like, you know, this is kind of what a lot of everyday people lives lives are like, you know, like they're running with no electricity in their house. They're not living there anymore. Like people are going through these similar sort of struggles. And I think that's so universal. That's again, it's just a theme that echoes throughout, you know, the entire country. And I think Rockford's such a perfect stand in for sort of these forgotten towns that yeah. are kind of crushed under the weight um, yes. of like big capital C capitalism uh, just because, you know, the jobs are getting squeezed out and people don't, you know, can't afford to, to pay for certain things. And Rockford is just a perfect emblem of that. And then, you know, Denver is, the, you know, kind of rec- a recurring character almost. You know, you see Zach move there initially. Um, Kier moves there at the end of the film. And it's like that is sort of a symbol of, you know, this is where we can get to escape um, Rockford because they all describe really this feeling of Rockford kind of closing in on them and crushing them. And, you know, Bing was able to get out and move to Chicago and then move on to be a filmmaker. And then they're, you know, they're all just in pursuit of um, some sort of escape from this sort of cycle that Rockford causes them all to live in, really. It's like a mental and uh, actual escape because they need to find some sort of method to leave, leave their past from, from Rockford and just escape any kind of trouble at home. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you, you mentioned the skateboarding stuff too. I think one of the most incredible parts of this is just how beautiful it's filmed. I think that's. I was going to say, yeah, definitely. Like, I, I don't think that you would have been crazy to fight for this to get a cinematography Oscar nomination just because of how beautiful um, this sort of like handmade steady cam. Like, he can't afford it. He even said he can't afford a steady cam. So he was, you know, kind of, he mounted a rig and he was, you know, running alongside them. Like, most of the stuff of the skateboarding is him running behind them, which is kind of crazy that he was able to keep the camera so steady and capture all these moments of the beautiful set of sunsets in the background. And it just, it looks incredible. And I think that, that really ups the watchability in a documentary. Cause a lot of documentaries are very staged. They're very stilted. Yeah. Um, a lot of similar angles, like not a lot of creativity with the camera, but this favorite, is so, it's so kinetic. Like, yeah. One of my favorite doc directors is Werner Herzog. Yeah. And, when he makes a documentary, it's not like it's very specific filmmaking, but it's not. Yeah. Like you're saying, like it's not all that flattering um, or some of the times uh, there's exceptions. But like what I'm thinking of is Into the Abyss. Uh, mm. Have you seen that? Yeah. Yeah. Insane movie. But it's not. Yeah. Nothing about that s- screams like what this I mean, that's kind of like a bad example, but it's um, normally documentaries don't have this kind of look. I yeah. Guess. Yeah. Or style. That's the yeah, thing yeah, yeah. that this movie has is style. It's got, and an, a lot energy. Of documentaries it's got an energy, energy too. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. got an 100%. energy to it. That's undeniable. And I think that's, you know, it's consistent with skating. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really sort of that kick, push, kick, push, keep moving kind of mentality. And the whole movie, um, you know, before you even get too stuck in any of these you know, depressing situations, it gives you sort of that reprieve, like we mentioned earlier, and that stuff is all, it's on the move, and it's, you know, it's them, you know, you know, grinding on railings and doing all this kind of stuff, and it's always go, 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 and I think that gives it a great, um, you know, it gives it a great feel and makes the pace, like, a lot more manageable. Oh, totally. And they did something with the skating that I didn't know that you could really do for film is it they show it to be so peaceful and so, like, tranquil in the sense yeah. of, like, with the score and 
Um, I didn't make a note, though, how I could tell this was handheld, but it was so steady that I was kind of shocked. And I, it was, you know, it's just cinematography, like you keep saying, is amazing. And it's just you feel like you're gliding with them. And the score has this, like, completely, like, it stills your heart. It kind of zaps out all of your energy and just makes you feel like you're in the moment. And as you're just following them and just kind of you completely put everything else at the back of your mind. And it, re- and it it's so hard for documentaries to, one, give you like, all right, this is what's happening. Two, this is what uh, these their lives look like. But three, also make you feel like you are in them. That's the that's the big thing documentaries have the hardest um, job is to get you so um, sucked in that you can't even think that there's a camera there. You can't even have that thought. Oh, there's a camera right there looking at them. It's the biggest thing. It's the big. It's the thing that I. I'm kind of bad at watching documentaries because I always think about. Okay, wait. When did they like? How did they film this? Like, did they ask ask them to you know walk in like two uh, two minutes before that way? It's kind of like um, you can't make talking heads flattering anymore. Exactly. <laughs> it's it's kind of like the like um, live studio audience sitcoms like you can't you can't see this people don't want to see the strings yeah the uncanniness is is always off-putting a little bit but but it's interesting because this sort of delves into that when bing is kind of you know breaking the fourth wall talking to the subjects and sort of interjecting on his own um and i guess you can see really when he does that him figuring out that he's part of the story too that he's kind of like the heart of the story Mm. like that um that really builds as the film goes on because you hear him sort of giving these pieces where, you know, he'll say like, Oh, like my stepdad did that to me, or this sounds like this. And part of that is certainly him trying to relate to the subject and getting them to open up. But also it's him, I think having a realization that, Oh, like this is so fitting and so consistent with my life growing up. And then you see obviously the, the, with his mom at the end, which is like incredibly heartbreaking just because neither of them even knows what to say and yeah. how to say it. And a lot of that, this movie is that is people, you know, wanting to say something but not having a way how, or, yeah, and not yeah. ever learning, not ever learning what they should what they should say and how they should go about it. And that's one of the saddest parts of the movie, really. You feel like this is their first time getting the chance to talk about these things. Yeah. Like they've repressed it so much that it's it's almost forgotten at this point. And now you're trying to open something up that that doesn't even have a key to open it up. Um, yeah. I wonder if being shot the scene with his mom first or the scene with his brother because I th- I think the I believe he said the mom thing was one of the last things he shot I believe that would make sense because maybe the brother scene gave him the idea yeah or like sort of the push that he needed yeah. to, yeah. To, to think about his past and how you know, there's that that scene too where he he goes into the skate shop and, um, you know, the, the the owner is talking about how Bing would kind of open up to him a little bit and you know maybe that's him kind of discovering that he you know that he needs to tell this part of his past and that he needs to confront this idea of of what his stepfather was and it's so crazy when you hear about like the fact that how his mom met his stepfather is he was just a customer and like followed her home yeah. to like see where she lived and then they just got married like that's crazy. 
Yeah. And that's something that most people couldn't even fathom. But it's, you know, it's like the mom even says, like, she's the type of person who feels like she needs to have a partner and be married and have kids. And people just yeah, can't that, that be alone. crazy. Yeah. yeah. It, like, and it also kind of tackles like this movie's about so many things, but it's I feel like there's a lot of times movies are about everything. And to me, that's uh, I think there's like a saying of if your movie's about everything, then it's about nothing. Um, and when it's, but this movie, it tackles so many things, but it, anything it talks about, it completely addresses and does not push off to the side. I I have a problem with that with a lot of movies. This though, it talks about like when race is brought up, they talk about it. When, uh, societal, um, expectations are brought up, they talk about it. When like class, like class structure is brought up, they talk about it and they explore each one. And, uh, speaking of like how, um, Bing's mom felt like she needed to be married and have kids and stuff like that. It kind of goes in with Zach's idea of constant struggle and constant um, backlash against uh, societal norms and what society expects of him. Yeah. Um, and how that's, you know, he's, there's definitely like a moment where like he's on the stairs in his basement or whatever and he goes in about how like, it's very more like, you know, it's society, man, that kind of, um, yeah, he's like, Oh, what am I going to have two and a half kids and have yeah, exactly. a job and all this kind exactly. of stuff. Yeah. And it, it's a kind of cliche, but you get where he's coming from because you understand the context of that. Mm-hmm. You understand why he's saying that. Cause a lot of times you hear that and you're just like, you kind of put that off to the side. You literally like you're, you just stop caring at the moment you hear something, maybe that cliche or, surface level but if you understand what he's really saying because of the context he has for his opinion it makes sense and i think it's just everything connects and it's like this movie to me is like also like a cycle it could be like either the cycle of abuse cycle of trauma cycle of you know bad parenting decisions it can be about it's about so many things but that's why i think it being real is one of the only ways you can truly accomplish something this kind of ambitious in the topics it's talking about. Yeah, it'd be different. And you can see the struggle, too. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. It'd be different if uh, Bing decided to make a documentary about Rockford. And, like, I think it would still be yeah. interesting or something like that. Yeah. Like, um, but it would, it would lose that uh, emotional core, you know? Like, yeah. um, what's that? What does uh, Kier have written on his skateboard? This machine cures heartache? Oh, uh, yeah, this it's on the poster too. Um, warning: This cures heartache. Yeah, this 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 vehicle, I think maybe cures heartache or something like that. It's kind of like that Woody Guthrie. Yeah. Uh, thing as guitar. It, yeah, it just like kind of sums it up on that one, um, like art artwork. <laughs> it's it's not about um, yeah, it's like not about uh, the repair but it's about the thing that can cure you short term feels like because skateboarding can't last you uh, a lifetime but it can it's like the the short term effects that it has on you yeah it's kind of like the band-aid I guess for for the problem and not necessarily you know fixing it Um, and I think a lot of what makes the whole thing so powerful is that Bing has this relationship to like the subject of skateboarding itself and also to the people that he's making the documentary about. Cause most documentaries, like the documentarian doesn't know the subject. 
And I think a lot of times people will, will argue that, that that's good because it allows for a level of objectivity. But also this is an example, I think, of where the personal connection sort of brings out the most interesting conflict. Because there's the part, too, where he's 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 asking Nina, like, do you want me to – how do you want me to ask Zach about this? Like, And he feels like he has to do something. And I think that only, like, really works later. Like, he's only able to get that out of him because he already knows him. You know, like, they even say they weren't, like, necessarily best friends growing up. But the fact that they know each other, I think, allows – him to have a different type of access to these people that maybe they wouldn't give you know, a regular documentary. Mm. Um, someone who could be a great filmmaker, but I think just their personal relationship kind of brings a different side of these people and allows them to be themselves in a way that they might not be otherwise. And I think that's important. Or at least if this was a more objective view, maybe Nina wouldn't have revealed that she was in an abuse, that Zach was being abusive. Yeah. She wouldn't have held that closer to the chest because she's just like, I'm not going to tell some guy with a camera. Yeah, exactly. It's, um, yeah, and I wonder how uh, the little their little boy is going to turn out. Just not because yeah. whether or not Zach is involved with his life, but maybe this is something deep in the subconscious. Like this oh, something, heredit- something hereditary, something hereditary yeah, you think? Yeah. It's also like, I mean, the movie is about um, what we can turn, what we turn our child childhood into. That's what Zach yeah. says. Zach, you know, um, Bing asks him, so what do you think the lack of your involvement with your kid, how do you think that's going to affect him? And that goes into something that I think is actually pretty, it might not be like the, the newest thought in the world, but it's pretty insightful. Um, of how some can turn po- negative experiences into positive experiences. He talked he, like he as that uh, he references Bing in that, yeah. and some just turn negative into uh, more negative, and he references himself into that. And it's the essential question of what can we do with this adversity we're handed at such a young young age? Can we sculpt it into something that can actually? Can it be sculpted into something beautiful and positive and loving, or or are we just going to take that ugly thing and just make it uglier? It's the you know it's the again it's all it's the cycle it's the cycle of abuse it's the cycle of trauma of what of how we affect each other at such a young age um, and how it's not you know, the situation is not so different from that situation where it's like Kier's situation with his dad is not too unsimilar with um in like where Kier is disciplined pretty harshly and uh, maybe sometimes beat uh bing even in for a totally different reason was beat as well but in a totally different way um and how also zach's uh father beat him to discipline and it's but there's but you can there's definitely like levels to it but there is a connection mm-hmm. like Bing's stepdad was a monster um, we learn to love Kier's dad by the end of the film, and we don't. And Zach's Zach's father is kind of maybe this like this face, like it's like he's not necessarily like a real person. He's just kind of yeah. he, we don't get too much description of him, and that might be on purpose or that might just be because they didn't have access to it. But it's more like he he doesn't necessarily matter. It's Zach's struggle. It's not necessarily his parents parents' effect on him. I got the sense. So that. there's all this connection. 
I got the sense that Zack's dad was such a bad guy that he left at such a young age. Maybe he doesn't even know how to describe him. It's not like um, um, Bing, where he's just yeah. It's not like Bing. Wait, are you talking about? Such... Are you talking about Zack's mom? Because the mom Zach's left. Mom, the mom, mom left, left, and it was the dad oh, maybe I, yeah, and his maybe stepdad. I, yeah, 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 yeah. But I, don't, I, I didn't think that's kind of interesting. I don't know if this, this means anything, but that Zack and Kier's dads were both carpenters, and I think that's such an interesting parallel. I mean, a lot of that probably speaking to what Rockford is like, but I think the True. fact that they're both carpenters is such an interesting, you know, line to draw between the two of them. And there's, you know, there's a lot of commonalities in between all of these three three men, quite frankly. And I think that's what kind of makes the film cohesive, I guess. But um. Yeah, it's there's so many you know lines you can draw between one person and this person, and one one little thing I noticed was did you guys notice the billboards? I noticed that this time around, um, a lot of the billboards had a lot of stuff about parenting and fatherhood. Like yeah. th- they would show B-roll of, yeah. of these billboards where it's like talking about parenting and father. Every time there was a billboard, it was what something like that. I think that's such a little interesting little note that they that being put into the film. I think there was one moment that I saw. A boys and Girls Club yeah. billboard, and it might have evoked uh, Elliot, the, the little boy, Zach's little son. Yeah. Where it's like maybe mm-hmm. he would need to be in in that environment to um, to try to thrive more. Yeah. In regard, he does seem a bit isolated. Zach, uh, Zach. Uh, Zach's kid. He does seem like he he's moved from house to house and he's just with his mom so much. It does seem like he could be isolated. So I understand what you're kind of getting at. Like there's nothing stable about his life that we see. No. Mm -hmm. uh, Zach is involved. No. Yeah. I noticed something random. Um, So there's like, I I don't know what it is. It looks like a kind of like a chalkboard, but it's, it was, um, it was a bit blue. I think, but it had the Dark Knight quote. Uh, some uh, some men want to watch the world burn, and yeah. it, like it was like the full quote. And it's also like it's a paraphr- it's paraphrased because I'm like, wait, is that the actual quote? And I, it was just kind of weird to me. I don't think it has any significance. I just you, thought it was just like, oh, I just noticed that. You can't go one day without talking about the Dark Knight. <laughs> I'm, I'm a classic film bro. I told, bro. I I told you about this. <laughs> it's maybe, fine. Maybe you imagine that. Did you really? <laughs> Yeah, I think I, I, I think I noticed Did that too. Did you have too. the Dark Knight in like playing simultaneously? Like you can't go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's always day. playing. I can't believe this. This is the second time this has been brought up. <laughs> so to kind of kind of rein us back in here, um, so we're talking about parallels, and I think the parallel between Nina and Bing's mother is a super interesting one, where they they talk directly about how Bing even mentions like his mother felt felt the same way about that she shouldn't say anything, that she should be quiet, and and not confront the entire situation, but I think like it's tough because it seems like Nina almost is not allowed to learn sort of from Bing's mom's mistakes and how that changed his life. Um, but then again, you know, like like you said, Bing seems to have turned out you know, maybe the best of all of them. Like it seems like he's a pretty level-headed and good person, and that's not byproduct of his stepdad. And it seems like his mom wasn't even in his life that much. So it's, yeah. it's there's so many layers to what this kind of life brings out of people and what what their lives become sort of in the aftermath of the entire thing and he's literally like turning 
his childhood like his childhood trauma into something it's like it, yeah. it's lit- he's literally turning it into art into a film into a portrayal of actual life um the i think the the editing in this movie is so amazing because it you, you, i can't even imagine how much amount of footage he had i mean that's a lot of document uh, document uh documentaries but like also like the Home video footage, like and I can't the archival stuff, was just cra- probably crazy. Because I mean, can't imagine as a, as a kid he was probably hours. filming everything. Yeah, exactly. If we want to talk I can't about how many hours, if we want Say to talk again? about giving this a cinematography nomination, I would happily give this editing. Uh huh. Well. But I mean, of and, course, it's no Bohemian Rhapsody, right? Yeah, hundred percent. It doesn't have the uh, most editing. Yeah, and but there's but the brilliance like the masterstroke of editing in the entire movie to me is the moment when bing finally brings up to zach so um like talks about his relationship with women and stuff like that and he finally says if you know quote women are acting a fool sometimes you need to you know need to hit them i'm paraphrasing um and the moment he says that it cuts directly to bing's bomb and that is so it's also like the music just like drops out and it goes and it, the moment he like hits his hand, I think when and he's uh, finished his like he finished his thigh, hit his hits his hand um, to like simulate that when you're talking about violence. Um, and it cuts straight to Bing's mom's face and her just kind of like tearing up. And it's so powerful and it's so smart because it makes that direct connection. It does it so beautifully. I mean, that entire interaction with, with Bing and his mom is just because you can tell she just has carried so much guilt about it for so long and doesn't know what to do with it. Like even, you know, even her as like a full grown adult doesn't know how to necessarily cope with kind of her feelings in her past and what her la- actions or I guess lack thereof ended up doing to her son and how that affected him and, and his his half brother to this day, really like that stuff still kind of echoes and reverberates in, in their lives and their memories. And that kind of in some way makes them part of who they are. And that's, it's heartbreaking, man. And then you got, you know, Kier visiting his father's grave and the, just the terrible moment where you can't find it, like where you can't oh. find the grave. That is, Oh, and what yeah, I love it's, about it's, that scene, we may get to it later when we talk about our favorite scenes. Um, yeah, the scene when he was at his grave and it cuts to him immediately, uh, skating. Yeah. yeah it's, it just shows like, this is the only way that they know how to, how to like cope. Pro- yeah. Process. Yeah, you got to process yeah. grief, trauma, and like anger and stuff. And mm-hmm. also Kier turned that into an actual career. Um, and it, it's, it, it's what you do with all of that fucking baggage man it's like it's it's heavy it's heavy shit and jack you were saying earlier about how if it was more objective it, you might not get the same information or reactions from the subjects um like whether it be nina revealing the truth about um what zach did um and all of that i don't think you get that scene at the uh, at his grave if it was not being if it was some random person I don't think Kier could be in that moment safe enough to actually just break down and give like something so realized and truthful and raw. Yeah. It's like, it's incredibly like brave to show you yourself like that and just kind of 
and just let it happen. It's incredibly and... brave for a film, nonetheless a debut. Are we all in agreement? Yeah. This is like one of the best debuts of the decade. Yeah, of I'm maybe even longer than that. Honestly, like I think wow. it's one of. I think it might be my favorite doc of the 21st century. It's this or Grizzly Man, probably for me. Um, but I, I, I just think it's such a sort of generation defining work in a lot of ways. And yeah, yeah, it's definitely it's. Life I mean, you could maybe make parallels to other generations, but it's definitely like at its root and with the history it brings into each character and the moment we're in, it's definitely like this generation's. Like, I think the skateboarding thing, especially that's such like, yeah, you know, yeah. a lot of people skateboard, but I think it's particularly the mid to late nineties and early two thousands. is like such a big time for skateboarding, especially for kids of that age. Like it became so important for them. And and I don't know. It's it's yeah. It, it really hits hard, and it's so timely in a lot of ways. Um, it's so interesting how all the all you know the all these skating movies came out in the same year. That's yeah. um, such just you know crazy coincidence, I guess. It was like in 2017 when all those movies named Wonder came out, like Wonder Woman. Yeah, yeah that's Wonder right. And uh, or like Logan, Logan, Logan Lucky, Lucky, and then Lucky. Lucky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we'll cover them all. I'm sure. But. Yeah. Uh, so you talked about docs earlier. Yeah, I think 2018 is such an interesting period for docs because the three others that you mentioned all made, I think, over $10 million at the box office. And it was like the thing about 2018 was it was docs in theaters, you know. Mm. And then, I mean, if you want to count American Animals like you can or can't, that's a bit questionable. But I think like yeah, no, I, I see what you mean. Yeah, it's, it's such a strong year for doc, documentaries. Like you didn't mention Shirkers, which is one of my favorite documentaries of last year, which is a, a Netflix documentary it's got an incredible score but i mean there's just so many yeah i mean i think documentaries in general um are having a really strong decade overall because every year i think there's strong yeah it, i mean stuff like Icarus and i mean even free solo oh, which i think has a lot of problems right, yeah. yeah i think free solo which had a lot of problems is really interesting and is great in a theater like that's that's what made i think a lot of those movies like you know three identical strangers is maybe not the best doc ever but it's a great theater, theatrical experience it's got you know those twists and won't you be my neighbors got sort of that emotional pull and to get people into the theaters and i think i i would be stoked if more documentaries make their way there but also kind of with streaming services where they are now i think that's kind of where things are leaning more heavily and you'll see i think most documentaries head to streaming services pretty quickly just because it's such an easy way to ha have people access them it's so much better to just have you know tens of millions of people be able to watch your documentary as opposed to only you know a few hundred thousand in the theater even yeah. though it's a different experience just Streaming is going to change, I think, what documentaries are. And this is, you know, Mind the Gap's one of the kind of first big direct or streaming service produced sort of, or not produced, but like kind of direct to streaming service um, sort of distribution model for documentaries. Yeah. You know, and Icarus yeah, is kind of too, and it's changing yeah. the game. Three Identical Strangers was CNN Films. Uh, it's Neon. My neighbor. It's neon. Okay. Um, and uh, Free Solo was Nat Geo. So yeah. it's um, yeah, they're definitely like they're all a different uh, distribution plan. Um, it also it showed the difference or like the diverse catalog of documentaries because all of them were pretty successful, but all of them are like selling different things. Three Identical Strangers, this crazy real life twist. Who knew this happened? 
won't you be my neighbor? Come, um, come celebrate a wonderful man's life. Uh, you know, uh, connect uh, to the good of humanity. Um, Free Solo, watch this historic, like huge, um, like jaw dropping act of uh, physicality and what makes someone do that and the the way it's filmed of someone rock climbing and how dangerous it could be and my name of the gap is real raw you know uh what's it the real life of people going through hardships and i think so like you said like documentaries are making kind of a comeback i also find it interesting how like i find it so weird that the oscars didn't nominate like the, some of the most popular documentaries that's been seen in a while, yeah. like they didn't nominate "Won't You Be My Neighbor" or uh, Three Identical Strangers." Now, whether you think those movies deserve those nominations, it's more of like they're so popular and they were generally well received that it's interesting that they were just like, no. Well, especially because they, it's not like they passed over it for stuff that was big. Like Hale County this morning, this evening is, I think, a pretty good documentary, but it's not. It doesn't have the buzz or the attention, and it wasn't, you know, successfully um, a successful run at the box office. So I think it's it's interesting that that is one of those ones that they chose to highlight. But I think you know, the Academy is very fickle, and you know, a lot of its campaigning, a lot of its a lot of other extra stuff. So it's hard to really say what you know documentaries place is there at that point. Um, I, I don't even definitely. know if it's a comeback though. I think it might be a kind of debut. This is last year was I think the most successful box office run for documentaries ever and i don't think it's particularly close like usually there's maybe one that's popular but last year there were four that made over 10 million dollars like that's there was rbg too i forgot about that yeah i think everyone who saw it also forgot about it after about five minutes but it doesn't help that yeah i was like that's um, good the felicity jones ruth Bader ginsburg on the base on the basis of of success yeah. yeah yeah it didn't help either or maybe it did help but but yeah um no, I think people forgot that movie. <laughs> I think it also helps that there's no box office to dictate, um, like if they should be continuing, like the documentary genre's longevity. Yeah, you don't for, hear for, like, for, like for this documentary services. failed. Yeah, yeah. Like, like if um, yeah, it's, the, it's not a genre that's going to be uh, extinguished because of a, a poor. Uh, display you know it's just they're also pretty cheap also, i mean yeah, they're pretty cheap too some like yeah most most are like for a budget like i can't um, imagine mining for... was that expensive no definitely not well he paid for it out, out of his own dime you know and all he was yeah. he was just doing camera operator stuff so there's i don't and he's probably getting grants and a lot of you know a lot of the documentaries are paid for by getting grants from from people with money that you know, are interested in the subject or just want to support that sort of filmmaking. And yeah. it's cool that they, they be, they've, you know, become a little profitable in some cases. And I think that's, you know, it's going to push a lot of more people to pursue documentary filmmaking potentially, like um, as opposed to it being sort of a passion thing where you don't really earn much money. Like, you know, this makes it potentially feasible for someone as a career, yeah. especially if, you know, you're like a Morgan Neville who's the guy who directed, um, will you be my neighbor? He also did the Orson Welles doc. They'll love me when I'm dead. And, you know, there, I think there's a lot of it's an interesting moment sort of for documentary filmmaking. And I think Mining the Gap is a great example of what that can be as it kind of grows. And it's a different kind of voice, you know, Bing Lu's maybe not a person who would get much attention on any sort of platform 10, 15, 20 years ago. But now he's able to make this movie and it's it means a lot to a lot of people. And, it, you know, it's not the most widely seen documentary out there, but it's on Hulu and 
it's highly rated. It was nominated for an Oscar, and it's yeah. it's got enough attention that I think warrants more people to, to see it than otherwise might. It's more accessible that Hulu yeah. backed it. Yeah. Did you guys know? Although, that... although it does kind of bum me out that there's no physical release. Yeah. Outside of the UK. Yeah. I almost bought a, a bootleg DVD, but I was like, yeah, it's probably not going to work. I don't have a region-free uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Did you guys know that Zach is, has acting gigs now? No. What? Which is like the last thing that guy needs. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, if he's put... I mean, if I, maybe... I, I did... I was interested in the ending where it's this, it's not one of those endings where, like, now Zach has been two years sober. It's more of like, you know, he's paying child support. He's doing all right. Yeah, he's like it's not like you know. Well, yeah, I, I I was I was reading up on it. He's he's got two kids now with the the mm-hmm. woman that you see him get with in the movie. Tattoos oh. are name. Tattoos are name on his. Yeah, yeah, Sam, Sam, right? Yeah, on his on his wrist. She paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's nuts. Well, I were interested in how in, in how he convinced some girl to fly him out to Denver. Like, what <laughs> what, what was that process like? Was, <laughs> When he like, said, like, was, a was he just, was he just paying for, two... for, for pre, was he on premium Tinder, like, just swiping away and, like, <laughs> yeah, hey, you want to you pay for me to move to Denver? It's kind of a, kind of moment, a random happenstance. He wasted the all his moment money he on said $180 Uber, I was like, I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> $180 Uber? Who would I've taken, pay? I've taken, I've taken one before. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, you paid it, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just can't imagine someone else paying for a $180 Uber. I mean, if they're paying I'm for like, a plane ticket, that doesn't seem like I that guess, much more, you know, to be honest. Hey. You know. hey, there you go. And we also I, have it's... to keep in mind, like, I don't know if, how long Sam and Zach knew each other. Was this just yeah. kind of like date two? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's, a, it's another thing about the film that's seamless is the passage of time. Oh, it's totally. just you can't. It just it flows. I, it, this movie flows and so well. I mean, again, the editing and the cinematography of like how it just kind of. It just goes through, and it, you just kind of you maneuver in and out. Um, and like the last like fifteen minutes, that's when he kind of like throws in. Um, and it's kind of it could be like the the height of the movie, so to speak. It's like it's been all this build up, but like the fifteen minutes of how he's connecting every single storyline to each other so fast. Like he cuts through the narratives uh, the like the most throughout the entire movie. He usually spends time on one narrative and then cuts to another, spends a little more time on that. This is just like, it's, it goes boom, 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 boom. It's like, it's, it's like a symphony, so to speak. It, it reaches this height to it. It builds it, you know, it reaches this, uh, climax, I guess. Like, of Yeah. Yeah. Like exactly. Kier, Kier is kind of the, the marker that tells you kind of how long it's been just because he starts in high school. Yeah, yeah definitely. He's, he's kind of out of that. And he's working a restaurant job. He's dishwashing. Then all of a sudden, he's a server. And it's he's sort of the only way you can really tell. Because, I mean, Zach is kind of a dude out of time, to be honest. Like He's just kind of doing whatever he does, flowing around, doing what he wants to do, you know, like Getting working tattoos. at some sandwich shop. Yeah, yeah. And it's 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 pretty nebulous. But I think, Kieria, you kind of see the, the, the big change of him packing all his stuff in the car and, and moving out to out to Denver. Just, I, I wonder if he was aware of Zach moving to Denver at any point or if that play any factor in sort of his decision-making process. Maybe this is an easy comparison, but it reminded me of Boyhood. Yeah. Just, like, there was no title card that said, like... I see what you're saying. 2014, you know? Like, it was just... Yeah. Yeah, like you're saying, it's very seamless, and it just... And it cuts without warning, because that's... That's how, like, that's how life is. Within a blink yeah. of an eye... 
two years can go by, two minutes can go by. Uh, me, yeah, I just I think that was. Well, there's some long blanks you got going on there. You might uh, have that checked out by a doctor. I don't know. I'm sure. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying. Um, but yeah, so I, I think it's it, was, it just works exceptionally well. I, I'm so I, curious I to see what his next film will be like, and I, he's talked about it before, like what sort of the general idea of it is, but just because this is such a personal story and he's imbued, Bing is imbued so deeply into the, into the film that it, I'm almost scared. Like, what is his next film going to be like? Is that like, my expectations are probably going to be like way too high. And his next project is about, um, a gut form sort of program in Chicago. That almost, that almost sounds like, I don't know if you're either, I guess Jack is now, but the film, the work and sort of the prison sort of reform, um, documentary i wonder if it's going to be anything similar to that where it's like these um this examination of, of sort of masculinity and in in a violent sort of setting and I, I wonder what that's going to be like too that freaking movie man Jeez. man yeah, good. Um, yeah i mean that was, that was just yeah that was that was that was pretty uh do you that, think that was certainly something and do, i kind of thought i thought of the work when uh bing's brother brought up the sounds that he heard yeah or it's just oh yeah like it's so it was unsettling to him yeah especially at that age he he says unnerving twice and i'm like i and i was in that moment like i don't think there's another word i think you got it like he he, i could tell he was trying not to repeat it like mid-sentence he was like he was looking for a word and he's like he just kind of says unnerving again and i think it's just that's that's the word and hearing him say it is also very unnerving because that's that sounds horrific um i'm curious if bing feels either more or less pressure of his next film mm. as in like maybe more because he already he came out with this really personal story and a great acclaim everyone everyone has eyes on him now and this people are maybe expecting something as emotionally like prolific or like like this huge real like hard raw movie or maybe he feels less because, like, I got my personal thing out of the way. I had this, res- I had so much responsibility and pressure to tell my story and other people's stories that I'm close with the right way. And to really, and this is, like, my main passion project. I worked so long on this. So I'm curious, like, what, what's, how do you, like, how would you think that, do you think it would be more or less pressure? I, I don't think, I don't think it's that much. Honestly, I don't think that on a big sort of scale, that the expectations are really going to be that high. Like I'm sure like there are definitely a lot of people that love mining the gap, but I don't think it's to the level where when his next film is announced, people will be like losing themselves over it and expecting like the greatest film in the world. I think people will see it because like he's like proven himself to be a great filmmaker through this one film, but I don't think that there's this immense pressure and it's, it's such a different sort of story that I don't think that there's going to be a lot of place on sort of a lot of pressure, but really documentaries in general, there's not really a lot of like super hyped documentaries. It's not like you hear about a documentary you know, years out and you're like, oh man, like I can't wait for this one. And it, everyone's talking about it. Like they just sort of come out and they, that's kind of the cool thing about them is there's not this anticipation cycle either. Yeah. Like you know, you're not, you're not going to hear about some dude being cast as the Riddler in this documentary. Like it's just like, it's just a documentary. So there's not a lot of expectations based on people's prior knowledge of XYZ character or this person or this and even the filmmakers, really, it's kind of is, is a day-to-day thing because most people don't even really know the names of most documentarians anyway. So it's like, I like this documentary, 
I don't necessarily know who made it or what they'll make next. I think it's pretty low stakes, if you ask me. And just this year alone, we've seen so many sophomore efforts um, that have shown the confidence in directors that have had recent debuts, like uh, Ari Aster, Robert Eggers, uh, Jordan Peele, Jordan Peele uh, soon to be Greta Gerwig, and um, yeah, like it's. It, I mean, documentary and narrative are different, like you're saying, but it's that idea of restoring confidence in someone that showed so much potential and i think that thing is is the same way like we all have so so much um stock invested in this guy and it doesn't the people who have seen it yeah yeah of course and it doesn't really seem like he's a one and done like he definitely has a very long and fruitful career ahead of him well, he started trying to tell, apparently started trying to tell, you know, fictional narratives. So I, I would be interested to see if he does dip his toes into that one day. And I think that'd be cool just because I, you know, besides Herzog, really, most filmmakers are kind of pigeonholed into making just fictional or just documentary. I guess Agnes Varda is also sort of a historical yeah. outlier in that case. But I think that for the most part, people who make documentaries generally just kind of make documentaries and people who make fictional features don't really dip their toes into them that much. I guess Soderbergh is also sort of an example, too. From vendors, I suppose. Yeah. 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 I think it's it's more of like, if Spike Lee or Scorsese makes a documentary, people don't really, for some reason, don't, like, talk about it. It's weird. Like, no one's yeah. just like, oh, he made a documentary. Like, the yeah, only like, time where I can... Scorsese did a two-and-a-half-hour Bob Dylan documentary yeah. this year, and it's just not a thing that people are ever talking about. Like, it's kind of exactly. crazy. It was like a primer for the Irishman. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Duvernay, I think, maybe might be with 13th that's the only time when i'm really like people talk about her in two different um two different uh narrative and documentary Mm -hmm. Uh, but like like you said like it's so rare to have someone be recognized like you know scorsese is always going to be like all right that's a narrative director of course spike lee narrative director Um, i think spike lee is is a little more in the middle sort of true like scorsese's made like like very famous like great docs but i think that no one would ever kind of define him as a as a documentarian, which is kind of strange. Um, yeah. I think Luca Guadagnino's next movie is actually a documentary, if I'm not mistaken. So that is going to be pretty interesting, I think. One of my oh, I know favorite, he's working on a documentary. One of my favorite uh, Scorsese that I just watched was the um, Last Waltz. Um, oh, what was it? American Prince. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's about Stephen Prince. Um, who plays the gun salesman and taxi driver. Yeah. And it kind of, I mean, it's very different from this, but it's, it's, it's similar in how the, uh, subjective view of, of the, uh, interviewee can change the perspective. Um, and Stephen Prince is just like a fascinating person. Like he's, he, um, his stories both influenced waking life and Pulp Fiction and not a lot of, people can can do that like just individuals can influence other stories to come other directors so like yeah, yeah. It was, that was, it's like 50 minutes on youtube so uh i'm looking through my notes paul did you want to bring anything up i know you did a little bit of research I think um, so I kind of just weaved into the way we talked about the movie. I guess a lot of it's yeah. just information and like it's not necessarily points of discussion, just stuff that I thought was interesting that I kind of read into. Um, I was going to ask you two, 
Um, have you seen any documentaries this like from this year that have come out this year, and what sort of what do you think of any? If you have seen any any of them, I've seen one, um, and it's a movie that I don't think I don't know if anyone's seen, which is surprising to me because it actually has a lot of big names about it. Uh, let me get the title right because there's a lot of documentaries about this guy. Uh, okay, uh, what's my name, Muhammad Ali? It's directed by Anton Fuqua. Um, it was like produced by LeBron James. I'm a big Muhammad Ali guy. I think I find him endlessly fascinating. Um, I'm also really into that time in um, time in history of like how white America um, kind of deals with. Well, actually, to be honest, um, it's like, have you seen High Flying Bird? Yeah, yeah. Love it's it. the idea of how we treat athletes and how, you know, what pressure we put upon them do we look like do we make them look as like products or are they actually real people and but of course uh, Muhammad Ali has so much more going into that because of all the historical context he has Um, but that's I think that's really good especially if you're interested it's also there's no interviews it's all archival footage it's every single all the audio clips and it goes it's you know it's pretty it's um what do you what do you call it um it's lateral. There's no flashbacks or whatever. It goes completely in order. Linear. Um, yeah. Linear. Thank you. It's completely linear. It's it's really good, especially if you're. Uh, it's on HBO though, so that might be. Yeah, yeah. HBO has put know. out some a lot of sort of interesting um, athlete docs. I know the Maradona one is getting a lot of acclaim also, um, which I think is directed by the same guy who did Amy and Senna. I believe is the same director. Oh wow. Loved, okay. Who did the? I loved Amy. Yeah. Who did the Diego? Yeah, he did the. So he did a doc about Diego Maradona, who's probably one of the greatest and most controversial soccer players of all time. So I've been meaning to watch that. Um, I've actually seen quite a few. I've just been on a weird documentary kick. I thought American Factory is really was really excellent from this year, which is about a um, a Chinese glass company that opens a opens a factory in the United States in Dayton, Ohio, um, where there was a GM plant that shut down a few years after that or prior to that and it's sort of the conflict between the chinese workers and the chinese management with these sort of american workers and it's really an interesting sort of interplay of those two um and i thought that was interesting there's and there's been a you know the Firefest docs were were you know a lot of great internet meme content came out of those and they were pretty pretty entertaining um, i just want to say about fire yeah. i don't think that either of them were very good but what i what i did find different about that than most documentaries is that well, I can speak for all of us, is that we lived through it. Yeah. I've never seen one that I can recall. Like, I was I was there for it. It's kind of a weird observation, but I I mean, we were there. We were there for that. And it's not yeah. like uh, if I saw, like, Amy, it wasn't yeah. like I know I kind of knew Amy Winehouse going in, but it's not like I uh, remember the day she passed away or something like that, you know? Um, yeah. So I think that was well. I was there for Muhammad Ali's right. prize to yes. start him. So I, I was I, I was there for that. He actually yes. is Muhammad Ali. I don't know if you know. I, this, uh, uh, it's it's kind of true. It's kind of true. Um, Cassius Clay, Cassius Clay, not a question. Yeah, I trust. Yeah, I, I've it's just I've gotten that a lot. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. We saw right through it. Um, um, I did see this one Midsummer. Did you guys? Yeah, yeah, the real story, real story. Yeah, totally wild, wild, sweet. Those Swedes, man. <laughs> No, but, was, um, they put on a great party. <laughs> Better than Firefest. <laughs> it's a real romp. It's a family style. 
but no, I was reminded, of, I was looking through my 2019 list, and I was looking, I haven't seen that many, but I did see uh, Leaving Neverland. Mm. I was reminded oh. of... Uh, <laughs> I don't think I can watch it. I, I don't, I just don't think it's I can rough. watch it. It's rough. Um, I, I, there was... I forgot I watched it, and I think it was with purpose. <laughs> I mean, I think it's a fine... I don't know if it has to be four hours, but... Um, I didn't... I didn't Documentaries I, are I hard oh, to judge for me. No, 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 go ahead, sorry. I, 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 no, it's all right, yeah. I knew the broad strokes about it, but I didn't know the detail. I don't know if anyone of our generation knew the details. And just to see it like expressed in in that yeah fashion, it was just um, it was very powerful. Sobering. Yeah, it was very, it was very powerful, and um, it'll wake you up. I was, yeah, it was it was like a cup of ice water to the face, really. Um, um I think uh, to yeah. kind of tie all this back, but it's like I think documentaries for me are really hard to judge. Um, I mean, I can objectively say Mining the Gap is an amazing film just because I don't I think it's such a different documentary. But for me, like regular documentaries like Three Identical Strangers, Won't You Be My Neighbor um, or mm, other ones that I've seen that I can't remember. Solo. <laughs> Which, or... Yeah, exactly. I'm sure everyone's seen Super Size Me or stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's hard for me to judge them if I'm like, oh, man, that's just a great story. It's hard for me to judge them based on filmmaking or, like, yeah. it's more of, like, if I like the story, I'll like the documentary. That's the that's the thing, like... Which is a different heard... criteria, I think. I don't think exactly. that you necessarily have to look at them in the same way, but, you know, there, I just think there are certain documentaries that set themselves apart. Like, I think Hoop Dreams is an incredible piece of filmmaking. I think it's... I agree. I agree. On one that. of there, the most important... It's where I can and, just say... No, that's good. Yeah, and, and, you know, something, you know, the work of Agnes Varda is, like, just clearly, like, the f- level of filmmaking is Faces on a different level. Exceptional. Um, yeah, I mean, I can't wait to see Agnes by Varda. That's yeah. going to break my heart, I think. But, yeah, it's it's such a weird and interesting time, sort of, for documentaries. And, I'd like to shout out... You know, um, Michael yeah. Moore is, is kind of a documentarian of sort of yesteryear at this point, but... He yeah. sort of made the modern documentary kind of what it is in a lot of ways. He kind of popularized it in a new way Very and much so. made them he relevant. Made it, like in the mainstream. Yeah, he made them relevant in a way that they hadn't really been before. Even, you know, like compared Fair to Night, all these... 9-11 was a huge yeah. box office. Bowling for, Col- Bowling for Columbine, same thing. Like, these are all... Like, yeah, it's... Documentaries... I think it's a very underappreciated art form in terms of... Yeah sort of the film fan community. I think that they're sort of pushed aside and, oh, it's just like this thing that's not as important. You know, I'd rather go watch, you know, whatever XYZ fictional feature. But I think that sometimes documentaries can be some of the most powerful things that you see. Um, and I think, yeah, they've they've got a, a very important place in, in my film lover's heart, personally. I just want to shout out uh, Paris is Burning because it got its criterion yeah. release announced today. Uh, talking about films that uh, introduce you to a whole new world, especially in 1990. Yeah. Like it was just a culture that has yet to be explored or was on the rise of being explored by not only a documentary by Janine Livingston, but by uh, the people involved were just making it up as, or at least it felt like they were making it up as, as they went along. It was like an underground, uh, Kind of, production yeah production yeah 
like they just had so many rules and and uh and things that they were to abide by and not abide by and societal restraints and expectations it was just i i saw paris's like clay and i had these watch lists um that we gave us like 45 movies we had to see during the summer um, yeah it was like it was a mix and i threw some documentaries in there or at least <laughs> maybe not some just maybe them might be the only one but yeah i saw that and i just could not i cannot stop thinking about it it was just excellent yeah sometimes they they're that moving uh i watched tower recently which is an it's such super interesting if you guys haven't seen it. it's a rotoscoped animation half documentary half archival footage story of a shooting at the university of texas back in the 50s Perfect. and it's it's really really interesting it's i thought it was really fantastic it's i think it's from 2016 i want to say but it's got this really cool style you know it's like you know like it's kind of like a scanner darkly and that sort of rotoscope it draws sort of over some of the archival footage and it has interviews but it's interspliced with this real footage and some real anime and some animation that i think is a, such a cool stylistic choice with the documentary so it's an animated uh, documentary for the most uh, for yeah like it's it's wow. kind of a hybrid but yeah it's it's wow. part animated really cool kind of like loving vincent is like in that Sort of. Kind of. I, I mean, that's a that's fiction. It's a fictionalized yeah. version. It's not quite a documentary. Although that I do think that is a pretty great movie. And then I do want to say we talked about favorite documentaries. Just a couple that are out there. Uh, Jiro Dreams of Sushi. I think one of the the best documentaries of the last ten years. Also, which is an incredible doc. Um, that that's amazing. And then also uh, Hearts of Darkness, which is the Apocalypse Now documentary, which is just crazy that it even happened. Just the access is wild. Did and, that director make anything else besides Apocalypse? <laughs> I can't. I don't think so. But, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think know, uh, the Rainmaker or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I no, he's Dracula. That's right. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. That. Yeah, yeah. Do you consider Close Up a documentary? Hmm. Kiristami movie. I've always wrestled with this. I think it's. I mean, that's like its main attraction is like its cross hybrid. Yeah. So sort of ish. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, if it, if I were to classify it as a documentary, I think I would put it in like my top three. Really? I love Kiristami, but um, yeah. I'm gonna have to listen back to this episode and like pick out all the documentaries uh, that have been name dropped because I I want to <laughs> admit to something. I'm such a neophyte when it comes to it. Like this is like uh, I have the A24 podcast when Robert Eggers and. Ari Aster, we're just rain dropping Ingmar Bergman. Just about in, yeah, just talking yeah, about Ingmar yeah, right. Bergman. Like the deepest cut. Talking about winter, winter light and just like <laughs> yeah. random. Yeah. Bring up I, it, and just... I just need to watch more. Like, I'm I'm kind of ashamed of myself a little bit. Um, there, I actually do want to drop in one documentary that I is like one of the only, the only documentaries I have seen that people haven't that I want to kind of rave about. Um, and I think it's really... Um, really, really, really uh, relevant to today's day and age with uh, some foreign policy going on. Uh, Winter on Fire: Ukraine's Fight for Freedom. It's a, one of the like one of the first main documentaries Netflix produced. It was nominated for this was in 2015. This was nominated for an Oscar. Um, it's great, great stuff. It makes you learn. It, you know, it's it, it's it's a info drop kind of, but it's more of like it just shows you a way of life with a very personal mm. scope. 
Um, I think and, I think that those informative, straightforward docs can be really great. Like sometimes the story of the documentary is so good, yeah. you don't have to make a lot of sort of filmmaking uh, decisions to make it stand out. I think sometimes the story is just really interesting and great. Um, like you mentioned and, Grizzly Man earlier, that comes to mind. I think there's some interesting sort of double narrative stuff going on where, you know, it's Treadwell telling his own story, but through Herzog and it's different. Yeah. But like Citizen Four, which is one of my favorites, is very simple and straightforward. You know, it's just like showing you everything that's going on with Edward Snowden and it's sort of boots on the ground. Um, and I, I think that works a lot, a lot of times. And I, I, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. It's just, you know, sometimes things stand out when they make different choices, like Minding the Gap, which, again... Just an incredible movie. Way to segue back to it. Yeah. I know. I, I think it's. I think it does show what you can achieve in the documentary format. Even as someone who hasn't seen that many, I think it kind of just. It, it, it's easily the most narrative felt documentary I've ever seen. Meaning, I, when I say that, I mean like it doesn't really feel like a documentary. All yeah. the documentaries I've seen are like, yeah, that's a documentary. This one feels like an actual feature of some kind. Because yeah. there's well, yeah. not a lot of talking heads, which helps, but it's also the choice of filmmaking and how personal. Hey, stop the making camera sense. Is. It's a great documentary. I was just so see that you beat. Me. <laughs> I was just. I had a little talking heads. Not always a bad I, thing in documentaries. I love. No, that. yeah, no, I, I, I completely heads. agree. No, no, no. It's, yeah. it's uh, but the camera just feels so personal in this movie, and I, it, it's 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 just so there. It feels yeah. like. I mean, it's kind of cliche to say it, you know, it feels like the camera isn't there, but it truly feels like it's a part of their lives. Not necessarily like we're just a fly on the wall. It's more we feel like a part of their lives at the moment because of the journey we go on. And I think that's I didn't I didn't necessarily know that could be achieved through documentary filmmaking. Yeah. Stop making sense. Also, some of the best cinematography I've, I think I've ever witnessed, like narrative or otherwise. Yeah. So yeah, I don't really have too much else to say about Mind the Gap. Uh, yeah, great movie. I mean, it's on Hulu, as we've probably said many, many, many times. So if anyone is you interested, really be paid by Hulu to give this. Yeah, free, pretty much. This much free advertising. If you've listened this far <laughs> on the podcast, uh, at least at least give us that. At least watch the damn movie. Right, come on. <laughs> Stop making sense as a demi. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm just I'm IMDbing it in real time. Um, I'm a complete professional. Uh, so what I. Clay, do you have yeah. anything to say about Jonathan Demi? Anything going on currently? No. No. Not, no, no. No other podcasts are covering Demi. No, 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 no. We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> um, uh, our, so what we do at the end of each episode, we ask ourselves and our guest, what is your favorite scene of the movie? And as always, I will go first. Um I have to say, and I think I, I don't want to say it because Jack kind of already screwed me on it. Was his scene, um, Kier scene at his dad's grave? It's kind of hard not to go with it, but it's so like it's so heartfelt and it's so raw and it's so real and it's just it's undeniable how effective that moment is. And how much you connect with... I, I think Kier's easily my favorite character in the movie. Even though he's not a character, he's a real person. But his storyline is what I connect to the most. Because he's favorite so subject. fucked up. Yeah. He's so lovable. Yeah. He's oh, yeah. so lovable. He's just so, He's a good kid, alright? He's yeah. a good kid. So you know, good. He has his head on straight. I feel like all these uh, guys are good people. I never... Eh. Even Zach... I mean, okay, yeah. He didn't, I mean, Zach <laughs> would be the one 
I with the right girl is what I'm trying to say. Oh I mean, my yeah. god. Oh man. <laughs> no, no, you're gonna uh, no, no uh, the personal views of Doctor. <laughs> Oh, wait, 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 wait. Is this, is this show already canceled? Is this one? Is yes, it's 100% canceled. Yeah. Um, no, I know what you mean. You, 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 it was just, it, he was in a bad space. Yeah. That, uh, we'll just put it like that. I think, I, I'm not I don't sure think Rockford is doing any of these guys all that great. Cause... That's true. Rockford isn't necessarily the greatest place to. The Peaches, have a... though. No, yeah, I bet, peaches, I bet 100%. Yeah, shout out, shout out. Um, yeah, no, it's just like that funeral scene there, that, um, grave scene it's just so fucking and also it's so real that to include not many documentaries would include oh shit i forgot where the grave is like i i kind of i think i don't know i I think that was pretty like clearly like you think it's drawing out tension a little bit like being like oh yeah like i think that's i i get i get it but i i do feel though if it made sense though as in how how long it's taken care to really make amends with how his father treated him how if he really loved his father because he's had so many mixed emotions through the entire movie and how worse shown that like i feel like the movie really sells us on kier's father by the end because at first we're like yeah that guy sounds like a dick and like he sounds he's bad news no no thank you but you started you start getting a sense of maybe he wasn't he was actually trying to do good and he was trying to be um a better father and maybe he maybe he didn't do all that well but he was trying at least um but i yeah i just like it's a emotional crescendo that's definitely that moment um what about you guys favorite scene i guess i'll take the uh the scene with uh bing and his mom it was just yeah it's it's the it's kind of the showstopper um it's just, hard for me to watch because yeah. it's so oh god it's very emotionally uh, available, and um, you just you just see someone that was, yeah, like we were talking about earlier, it's just um, kind of using this as a as a using this guy as as a means to feel secure and feel like protected and uh, and not feel so alone. But in return with that he wasn't the best person to make her feel safe. So it, on retrospect, it feels like something that she could have done better with. But now that so much time has passed, it just hurts her even more, even more than his physical abuse hurt. It was, it was more that the time left with him. It was just, yeah, it makes it all the worse. And the way that he shoots that too, where it's like, there's a lot of tense buildup where you feel this really is not scripted. Like, I don't even know if, yeah, it's, it brings, it brings that he didn't know he was going to do this. It just makes it all, all the better. Like he has to like fix up the, the audio and the lights and, and he's making sure he's, she, her, his mom's okay with this and, um, and then he like slowly builds up to the question, and he's like, "I don't know about slowly." He kind of leads with, "So who was who was the stepdad? Who was he? Yeah. Huh?" It, it just went kind of straight into like, yeah. I mean, I, I, I it built up in some way, but I, I, I don't know. It was funny how he didn't throw in or throw her any like softballs at first. Like, <laughs> so tell me about yourself. Yeah. What? So how was how was life before me? He was just more like, "Who's the guy that beat the shit out of me?" Hmm? <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I think for me, for me, the scene, I think it's a really small moment, but it, there's a scene where uh, Bing and Kier are, are talking on the porch and Bing sort of makes the, um, yeah. sort of admits to him that, that it's, this is what happened in his own life. And Kier even remarks, he's like, I, he had no idea. And they have this moment where I think they really connect on a, a level that I don't think they had ever connected before. Like they weren't necessarily friends growing up, but I think that human moment sort of defines what this movie's about for me. Um, it's about kind of just finding anything you can, clinging to whatever you can to sort of to, to move forward. And I think that is such a beautiful moment, the way they look at each other and they sort of just sit there and the, the film allows you to kind of stew in that for a little bit. It doesn't cut away too soon. And it's just this realization that, you know, you're not necessarily alone. And, you know, sometimes other people are going through the same thing as you are. And I thought that was really powerful. Uh, yeah, I agree. That's a, a yeah, great choice. Yeah, that's probably, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just this movie's full of great moments, um, and it, it's just an incredible. It has an incredible pace too. Yeah, it mixes those small moments with the big ones, like the ones that Clay and I mentioned, and then the world that Paul mentions. It's equally yeah. effective. Yeah, yeah it, it's it, it's also. I, I one thing I kind of want to end on is I want more of these movies that are. I know this is kind of a hard ask, but I want more movies to be this kind of real and honest. Um, and it doesn't have to be documentaries. I just feel like we need more of these actual like depictions of nuance and people of lower income families and the cycle of trauma. And maybe people feel like we've had too too many of those. I, I don't think we've had enough. I don't think we've had this because I, I feel like we should have had a minding uh, minding of the gap, or we should have had two or three. Um, recently, and I don't think we really have. I think we need to tell some of the more important stories that's going on right now, and really talk about real shit, because, I mean, I love movies, I love where we are in film, I love films coming out every day, and like, you know, these, I mean, 2019's been really good, 2018 had some really great movies too, but I do wish, though, we would get this more authentic depiction of uh, cycles of trauma and like families of low of low income and like actually kind of address some of the shit. That's just what I, 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 thinking I, about. I think they're out there. I, I just don't know if they're necessarily as, as acknowledged. I, I mean, I think Roma very much fits in in kind of in step with this. I agree. It, which I is think. my favorite movie of 2018. So um, no, but I agree. And I like Wildlife, which is one of my favorite movies of last year. I think is also sort of in that same sort of subgenre. I think it's just mm-hmm. it's they're not necessarily the ones that are being watched on a bigger scale. And I think a lot of that is just people don't want to see that stuff. People see that stuff in their everyday life and they don't want to watch it yeah. in the movie. Yeah. So it's, no, it's a tough I, Like I, I'm glad we have them, but I don't want any, everything to be them. Comes, no, true. I, I, no, what comes to mind um, when you talk about that is Sean Baker. Yeah. Yeah. I've no, only, that's that's another one. I've only seen Tangerine and the Florida Project, but yeah, I want he, the, I want more Florida projects, yeah, man. Like, I want more of that. It's those what he's what he's done is like astounding to me. It's just because um, I want to learn yeah. about these lifestyles because I don't because I I I'm I come from this place in my mind of privilege and so I really want to learn more about yeah. the Florida projects and the mining of the gaps and I want to really experience this. That's why I guess I'm maybe feel the need for more of those movies just because I feel like I'm so out of touch. Clay's just above yeah. us. Sorry. Yeah, 100%. 100%. So, Paul, do you have anything to, like, plug or anything like that? Uh, I guess just Letterboxd. Follow me on Letterboxd. Just search my name, Paul Oyama, P-A-U-L-O-Y-A-M-A, and that's where I, you know, 
blog movies and occasionally review them. Other than that, not really. No, not not a big Twitter guy. And uh, yeah, just catch me around talking movies and stuff. Do you have a show that you're uh, on, on the internet? No, no, no nothing. <laughs> no idea. Nice. <laughs> um, so, uh, what was I going to say? I just want to wish Mr. Oyama some uh, the best luck with uh, any of his uh, trivia exploits. Yeah, and appreciate that. I will just in case there are I, any. I, just in case. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. Really looking forward to uh, seeing you continue to play, man. I, I think it's, yeah, we'll see. I'm a big it's, fan. It's fun. It's fun. What are you talking? Appreciate about? it. <laughs> yeah, what are you talking about? Yeah, Jack's the biggest Shmodown fan I, I I know, and he's uh, he's insufferable. Okay, uh, what do you have to plug? Um, I'm Jack A. Tri- Jack A. Draper on Twitter, and you can find my writing on the Simple Cinephile. And I'm also on Letterboxd. It's just my name. Uh, I'm at Clayfilm100 on Twitter and Letterboxd. Uh, I do an app called this uh, called Stardust. It is a 30 second uh, video reaction app where we talk about uh, films and television. It's a great community. You share your thoughts. They're quick. They're easy. They're fun. Please come join us. I am at Clayfilm100 there as well. Even though I have not uploaded uploaded a reaction in like two months, I promise it's a great community. And follow me anyways. Okay, oh yeah, that's right, uh, ending the episode. Um, okay, 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 joking, all right. Uh, thank you all for listening. Rate, review, subscribe. Um, please follow us on Twitter at ETTPod. Um, and next week we have... Oh, to be decided, I just remembered. All right, yeah. and as always, keep smashing skateboards of, out of frustration. Thank you.